Hello, friends. Welcome to the Industrial Marketing Show. I hope that sounded good with our theme music. Um, the number one podcast in the manufacturing space for marketers. I am one of your hosts, Matthew Shinella. And I am MJ Peters. And MJ, uh, you know, we are we're almost to the end of the year, which means, you know, we're getting people got plans going and they have new initiatives they want to kick off for 2022 and it's an exciting time you you have your budget you got all these grand plans some will work well some will not um but um i did want to start with today talking about and we, we've talked about this on the show a lot but i want to talk talking to customers sort of the the sort of foundation of almost any program that you want to run so you had a cool post earlier this week and then Rand Fiskin had another post on Twitter that was kind of a complimentary post. And so I want to kind of, I want to read them both sort of um, and, and go over each of them. And then I want to throw it to you because you are the queen of customer interviews. As far as I'm concerned, um, you you have interviewed me as a customer air quotes. Um, and I know you have a very, very good approach to this, but let me read this post first and then I'll get into it. So MJ says, on uh, her post from earlier this week. The best marketers have a deep understanding of their customers. That's not controversial, but what does it really mean? Here's what you actually have to do in order to leverage deep customer insights. Number one, figure out how to get customers to talk to you. Honestly, the people that are the best at this are just scrappy. Channel your inner salesperson, send some cold emails, like a lot of cold emails. Most people don't reply. Some will talk to them. It's worth it. Number two, learn how to structure those conversations. Discussion prep is essential. You need to know at a minimum, what do you want to find out and how we use that information? Number three, learn to spot insights during calls so that you know when to ask deeper follow-ups. Prep is great, but sometimes you need to go off script, asking follow-up questions to dig deeper, clarify and quantify. Four, pick out the best insights later to use in your value prop messaging, etc. You won't use every piece of information from every call in your marketing and you'll probably get better results by focusing your messaging on just two to three insights. Um, all right, now I'm going to go to Rand's post, which I thought was equally interesting. Um, let's see. Well, actually, first off, first off, I mean, can you go ahead and just expand on that a little bit real quick? I'm going to, I'm going to pull this post up so I can, I can, uh, I can detail it. And then um, I think for you and for me, when I think about customer interviews so often is, you know, we don't, all, all the time. It's first off, it's difficult to talk to customers. I think for a lot of marketers in our space, um, and then when you do get those chances, I feel like sometimes it gets spoiled because you're not very seasoned as an interviewer. Mm. So for you, can you give a little more detail as to the prep that you do put to go into the interview? Because you know preparation breeds success there so much, and and I think the audience would would uh, do well to kind of have a framework for how to approach it. Yeah. So first of all, the inspiration for that post came from Spud Rule. Shout out to Spud. He is the director of marketing at ClickBank. And he created a LinkedIn post that was like, what's the number one skill that marketers need? And he said his number one was empathy, closely followed by copywriting. And I saw it and I was like, Every a lot of people would say that empathy is the number one skill, but I was almost like, is empathy a skill? Like, how would I break down empathy as a skill? And I was like, well, empathy is cultivated through customer listening. People talk a lot about customer listening, but I don't think people talk enough about like the nitty gritty of what is customer listening? How do you actually do it? And I think for that reason, people try to do it and then they just give up because I don't think enough people are talking about how hard customer listening actually is. And I know you asked about prep, so I'll get to that in a second. But step one is essential here. Like, 
you, I'm just going to be totally transparent with everyone listening that you just literally need to send a ton of emails. Like now I, I have built a personal brand on LinkedIn and some people chimed in about this. And so because of that, I can kind of leverage it to send DMs and get people to talk to me more easily. I'm like in the marketing space now, whereas I used to be an industrial. Um, so it's easier to get people to talk to me because I'm like a, I guess, a quote unquote marketing influencer. And so people like know who I am when I ask Guru. them. Yeah. Um, so that helps, but that's like a long game, right? So in the short mm. game, you just literally have to send a lot of emails. So just like know that that's going to happen and do it, right? When I first started out customer listening, I was that person who was just scrappy. And it was funny because like the VP of sales at the company where I was at when I first started doing this, like I would book calls with these people, like, cause I would just tell them, like, I'm not trying to sell you anything. I just want to like learn from you. And I'd book calls with like ridiculous people. And the VP of sales is like, how are you booking these calls? Like, can you sell something? And I was like, no, I'm like, not going to sell something, but like, I can talk to this person and learn what we would need to develop for NPD to sell it to them. So that's a little bit of a rant, but back to your question, which is about preparation. Um, I think you being experienced, being a seasoned interviewer does help a lot, but you're quite right, Matt, that it's like, well, if you're not a seasoned interview interviewer, like that doesn't help knowing that. So, um, no. you can like, I would say preparation is like 50% of the battle. I would say 25% of it is just in my mind, like being naturally a strategic thinker. Um, and then the other 25% is experience and like just understanding what business priorities are. So that's how I, uh, that's how I'd break it down. And so you can get 50% of the way there, um, just by preparation and, those two questions that I posed, it's like, what are you trying to find out from this person? And how are you going to use that information? And be really specific, like force yourself to think about that. And particularly force yourself to write it down. Because if you have to write down the answer, to both of those questions, you're going to think about it harder, you're going to be way more specific. Um, so just as an example, like we're launching this product at Refine Labs, and we just did, you know, uh, Matt was is part of our alpha testing group. And so I did the interviews for him. And um, what I what I wanted to find out from these interviews with our alpha customers is what what is their first impressions of the product? And um, what do they think are the gaps between the current state, because this is an alpha testing group, and the ultimate end state that we want to reach with, which is built around a very particular value proposition. And I'm not going to share the specific value proposition on this call, but basically I structured, structured this interview in two parts. Um, part one was a couple of questions about your first impressions, including my personal favorite question to ask, which is what was less than ideal? Ooh, and I love that question, question. because it's, um, it invites the person like you're, you're inviting constructive criticism without making the interviewee feel bad about mm -hmm. like, they're not tearing you apart. It's just like, Hey, this was a little less than ideal. So people give you a lot of information with that one. And well, then yeah, the second half, I want to, I'm going to, I'm going to put a pin in that one. We'll go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then the second half of the interview was um, I, I stated, Hey, this is what we want the end value prop of this, of this product to be, um, you know, based on your experience so far, can you see this, product delivering on that value prop and got the feedback on that. And then, and then I actually asked the customer, cause a lot of times what you'll find in customer interviews is that what people say and what they actually do are different. So um, I actually had the person describe the last time that they got that particular value prop from 
a product or had to, you know, do, you know, achieve something without this pain reliever that we're trying to, to develop. And, um, and, you know, what would have made that, that achievement a little bit more easy. So, so I got some feedback about how people actually acted outside of the context of this product, in addition to their specific feedback on the value prop right in that conversation. Gotcha. All right. So you asked the question, like, what was less than ideal? So what do you take from that kind of feedback? Like, let's say you get a really good answer there. What do you, what do you, how are you using that? Yeah. So what is less than ideal is um, one of the questions that I use to dig for customer pain points. So you can ask this question in a lot of different contexts. So in the context that I asked it in, I was looking for what was less than ideal about our alpha so that we could go fix it. <laughs> um, however, you can ask that question in the context of your competitors' products. And I think probably the, the most interesting application of that question is asking it uh, just in a general context to a customer, what's less than ideal day-to-day for you to spot new product opportunities, um, and especially in the context of uh, comparing your product or solution to um, substitutes or alternatives that are not direct competitors, which in almost every industry is doing nothing. So what is less than ideal about doing nothing um, can lead to amazing messaging insights, new product development insights, um, you know, who to target. You can learn all sorts of things through the answer to that question. Awesome. I just actually just uh, type that because I'm going to, I just swipe that question and sort of the context of that. So that was awesome. Um, great stuff um, from that. You know, there's there's a lot of there's a lot of interesting ways to interview customers for your value proposition. You know, uh, Anna Furmanov had uh, Andy Raskin on one of her podcasts recently. Shout out to Anna, by the way. She has a great podcast, just just objectively. <laughs> um, and you know, Andy had a lot of great, um, obviously, a lot of great questions that he asks during during the process for your your strategic narrative, right? I know you and I are both huge fans of Andy Raskin, um, and there are a couple that came up that I liked a lot. That he mentioned, like, what do you need to know about a company before you make a buying decision? Which is which is good to know. It, it, it kind of tells you like the minimal kind of content you need to make and distribute and communicate, so your buyer understands like everything they need to know about you, right? Um, understanding like how you stand out uh, is like how did our service change your life or product? Can you sum that up? And then the follow up question is like how has the world changed such that what you just said in regards to that change that you mentioned is urgent versus nice to have. There's probably more simple ways to phrase that, but uh, I, I do like those a lot. I think one of the traps to fall that to not fall into when you interview is to, is to be, is to have your self-fulfilling prophecy about how good your company is get fulfilled. Like I've watched customer interviews in my life where that was basically what it was. And I was like, that was really a waste of 20 minutes. There wasn't a really a lot learned there. Um, and so it's important to have this like curiosity. You want to, you want to find out about them and, and, and about their view on the market and kind of how you, how you fit into it, which, uh, which is something that, you know, takes practice. You're not going to always get that right the first time and you don't get discouraged. If you have a interview, and you don't feel like you get a lot out of it. A lot of times it's, it's a lot of questioning, I think more than, than what the, what the person has to offer you. If you, if you ask the right questions, almost anybody's going to give you something that's actionable to take away. Um, so I, I brought up Rand's thing. So Rand Fiskin had a really interesting sort of tweet thread. And have you read this MJ? No. All right. I'm going to go over it. I'm going to read it down and then I'm going to, I'm going to ask you to react to it. 
All right. Yeah. So MJ, I'm just going to put MJ and her and her and her uh, beautiful mind on the spot here. So, um, all right. So Rand says that um, um, customer research and audience research are not the same thing. Customers equal people who've already bought from you. Audience equals people who may become future customers or might influence your future customers. Here's five mistakes folks make. Mistake number one, interviewing slash surveying customers, then assuming those findings apply to the rest of your audience. Mistake number two, asking the same questions to both groups. Mistakes number, mistake number three, building non-segmented personas. Let me give more detail behind that one. What you want are separate personas that represent your reachable audience, even the audiences that will never buy from you, and represent your purchasing customers. And then you can build tactics to accomplish your goals with each. Mistake four, assuming audiences who haven't, you haven't yet reached will respond the same way as customers who have already bought. Um, so many miss out on growth opportunities because of this error. Different messages for different people in different channels often beats one size fits all. Mistake number five, using the same tools and tactics to research customers as audiences. Uh, as audiences That can't be done with customers. Like you mentioned, you have email, names, conversion paths. With audiences, you need to use broader surveys and or passively collected web and social data tools to do quality work. So um, I'm going to give you like a second to sort of process those things and kind of give me, you can, you can, you can reject that as well if you'd like. Yeah. Give me, give me number one again. Yeah, sure. So number one was um, interviewing slash surveying customers, then assuming those findings apply to the rest of your audience. Yeah. So I think that I agree with this for the most part. Um, I will just say that I, when I say do customer research, interview customers, I use the term customer extremely broadly. And it's something that I should probably point out more often. But like when I say interview your customers, I mean, existing customers, potential customers, customers that left you, customers that could buy from you, but haven't bought from you yet. Um, which I think um, my broad definition of customer overlaps with his definition of audience a little bit. Okay. Um, I actually think audience um, is even broader than some of the my broad definition of customer. Um, so I will say I think it's very useful to get insights from both groups. But um, having done this and just through this lens of like ultimate practicality, um, I would probably, if I was just doing this for the first time, reach out to a bunch of people, current customers, churned customers, potential customers, um, and literally interview anyone who said yes to the interview. Um, and what you might find is that those two groups have very different opinions, but uh, you also might find that they have very similar opinions. Um, so I think what Rand is saying could be true, um, but I would say don't let it get in the way of you getting started, right? Because it, it paints this very complex picture of like, you need to know about the audience, you need yeah, a segment, you need different messages. That. And I'm like, you know what? If you're doing nothing, actually, why don't you just start and, and interview 10 people? Who cares if they're audience or customer or whatever? And just see what you find out. Yeah, I would I would say that. Do you, let me ask a question. What is mistake number two? And let me ask this to you. I mean, do you ask the same question to both groups or how do you, how is it different for you if it is? Yeah. So this comes back to, I think, the discussion prep. So um, what are you trying to find out and how are you going to use that information? And do you think that the answers from both of those groups are, are relevant to what you want to find out and how you're going to use that information? So like as an example, um, the alpha customers, 
that I was interviewing for our product are, is the only group that is capable of giving me feedback on the product experience because they're the only ones that have used it, right? Mm -hmm. However, um, the long-term value proposition um, might be something where I could ask the same question to the people that have been part of the alpha versus people that don't know what the alpha is even like. And I'm going to get different answers um, because the alpha group is now biased by their experience of, of the product itself. Um, but either group, as long as they are part of the ICP for the product, can answer questions about, about the value prop. Um, so I would just once again plug discussion prep. What are you trying to find out? How are you going to use that information? And, and if you actually do that before you decide who you're going to do outreach to, to interview, um, then you can decide who's, who's relevant to ask those specific set of questions to. Okay. You mentioned on your, on your post, let's move back to you. Cause I think Grant's other points, I totally agree with like non-segmented, non-segmented personas, like, like audiences that I assuming audiences you haven't reached yet will respond the same way who people have already bought. Like obviously there's familiarity with the product. They've been, they've experienced your customer service. They have a relationship with your salesperson. Like it's different, you know, it's obviously, obviously it's different at that point. So it would be smart for you as a marketer, like if you have a lead who does not convert through into an opportunity, but they maybe just get like MQL or something like that, maybe smart to just reach out to them and offer them a gift card or, or lunch or something to talk to them because their audience still like, like just because they're in their database doesn't mean they're that doesn't mean they're they don't qualify as audience. So you can find people in your database to do that research with um, who wouldn't qual who wouldn't qualify, in my opinion, as a customer that you can get audience insights for and then go 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 uh, execute tactics off of. Um, I want to ask you. So you said normally you have you just skill about two to three insights from uh, from each each person that you talk to. Um, we've we've mentioned this before, but I want to just kind of I want to I want to um, formalize it or formulate it for people. Um, how long do you talk to people for typically? And then like, how do you discern the insights that you want to grab out, grab out of? Like, how do you decide these are the two or three most important things this person said? Because it feels like some people can interpret some things as more important than others. Yeah. Um, so how long do I talk to people for 20 minutes, 30 minutes? Right. Um, usually I only ask people for 20 minutes of their time. And then I do a time check at 18 minutes. Hey, are you good to go 10 minutes extra? And people almost always are because people's calendar is blocked out in 30 minute chunks. Um, but do be respectful of their time. And 20 minutes just feels like a more reasonable ask. I don't have any data to back that up, but mm -hmm. <laughs> ask for 20 and usually people will give you 30. Um, if you can get an hour, fantastic. If you're going to see someone in person, they'll usually give you an hour. But if it's Zoom or, or a phone call, um, I shoot for, ask for 20, shoot for 30. Um, and then what was the second part of that question? How do you, how do you decide which two to three insights you get are most important? Cause obviously some people interpret things as more important than others. And yeah. It's, it's a hard question to answer. And I yeah. feel like this is um, a little bit of where the experience uh, comes in. You um, I'm going to write a post about this probably tomorrow. Um, but there is a difference between knowing something and knowing that something is important. And to illustrate this point, when I was at Firetrace, uh, one of the insights that I picked out as a key insight, you know, when I first went out and did my first round of customer research was the machine shops that were most likely to buy our product were using an oil-based coolant. And when I when they told me that, I was like, oh my God, 
yes, this is an amazing insight. It's only the oil-based coolants. Like, you know, water-based coolants don't catch on fire. Like, this is amazing. I don't, I didn't even know what an oil-based coolant was, but like, clearly there's a huge difference in who we should be marketing to, right? Um, the reason that was important is because it narrowed the, our ICP like substantially and it, and it created an opportunity for us to create a lot of content about oil-based coolants and the, and the fire risk. So that was why I picked that out as important. But um, I remember I came back from that trip and I started, you know, telling people about it, the engineers, the other people on the marketing team. I was like, this oil-based coolant thing. And everyone was like, yeah, we know. We know about the oil-based coolants. And I was like, well, if you know about the oil-based coolants, then why is nobody talking about this? Like, why wasn't this like the first thing that everyone told me when I was like, when we were talking about the machine shop market? Um, and so it's interesting, right? It highlights that difference between knowing something. Like everyone knew about the oil-based coolants, except for me. Mm-hmm. Um, but it seemed like only I knew that it was, it was really important. important. Yeah. And the interesting thing is we started creating content about oil-based coolants. We used it in our messaging. And then when we started to do that, the people that came inbound started saying, hi, my name is so-and-so. I'm running an oil-based coolant. <laughs> right? And they never used to say that before. And I was like, you have seen our, our content. Marketing. Yeah. That's amazing. And it's also, it's so, it's, it's so amazing how it can be so obvious to everybody and yet it doesn't get it doesn't get sort of acted on in your outward sort of the way you present your company right like it's like you, like you said clearly your market is further segmented by people who use that and yet you know and everybody in your company knew it the, the most technical minds in your company knew that and yet no one ever thought to publicly communicate <laughs> <laughs> which yeah. you know uh, is which is which is wild. So sometimes beings that naive uh, in your in your questioning and and in just in your in your quest for in your quest for thirst for knowledge uh, ends up actually it's not. I wouldn't maybe it is an insight. The insight is that we're not using it in our messaging um, and saying like, look, this is a breakthrough because you all know this yet we never talked about it and it's going to be the thing that drives our growth. Something that simple, um, which I think yeah. is the other thing which is is amazing is like oftentimes. I think the insights you get out of the interviews that are breakthroughs for you are extremely simple. Uh, was that is that fair to say? Totally. Um, I loved what you said about like the naivety sometimes helps, um, and it highlights a point. There's actually like a study done about this um, when people do customer research and then like different people analyze the transcripts from the customer research. Um, it actually takes seven different pairs of eyeballs to identify all the insights. So, um, different people will get different things and sometimes that's a good thing, but again, like you can't act on everything. So you have to prioritize what the most important things are. Um, and I would say in general, like when I get excited about a customer insight, it tends to be like something that surprised me or something that is like, um, because I know this information, I know that I'm going to do something differently. So in the case of those oil-based coolants, I was like, this is amazing because now I'm going to narrow down the target market for who we're trying to sell to substantially. Cause only like, I don't know, 10 or 20% of machine shops actually use oil-based coolants. And they tend to be machine shops that are using, that are machining like very specific things. I learned this on my trip too: round, small parts, right? So like, firearms, medical devices, like a lot of like anything with titanium is often using an oil-based coolant. Like 
I, I mean, I didn't know any of this stuff, but I was like, mm-hmm. oh my God, now I can ignore like everyone who's doing oil and gas machining. Like I can ignore yeah. like the whole state of Texas, right? <laughs> like it had geographic implications, it had implications for content. So it's like, if you learn something where you're like, now that I know this information, something substantial about my marketing is going to change, like that is an insight. Absolutely. Um, I had a, another question for you before we wrapped. Um, oh, so when you go into um, when you go into these interviews, talk to customers. How many questions do you prepare for yourself, mm-hmm. and are they usually the same? Yeah. And are there any? And there, are there any questions you always have, kind of at your ready? I have a bad habit of preparing too many questions and trying to get to all of them, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, which sometimes can come off to the interviewee as like either nosy or just like whoa, too much overload, mm-hmm. right? So. Um, I try to counter that by um, just being like vulnerable and transparent. Like, hey, uh, I'm a bit of an interrogator. I apologize for that up front. And usually people are pretty gracious about it. Um, honestly, for a 20 minute interview, like you're probably, only, especially if you ask follow up questions, you're probably only going to get to like four questions <laughs> if, if each one has one follow up, right? Um, okay. So you could prep for 10, but you probably are only going to ask four. Okay. So of those 10, do you always ask the same 10? Because you always have the same 10 prepped or are there like are there three or four that you always kind of have in there and you always at least get to one? Yeah. So my when I do my prep, I do, you know, what am I trying to find out um, and how am I going to use the information? And then I'll structure the questions in order to, to get that information that I need and the information I need to use. Um, so if I'm doing like, you know, I... I'll do like regular kind of customer listening calls um, once I get a feel for a market, just like at a regular cadence. But a lot of times when I'm doing customer listening, it's part of like a sprint, like this alpha testing thing where I'm like, okay, it's a, I'm going to, I'm going to do like 20 calls in four weeks because we launched this alpha and now I get need to get feedback before we launch the beta. Right. Mm-hmm. So that's a sprint, right. I'm doing a bunch of interviews. I tend to ask the same questions in that kind of scenario. But if I'm just like, you know, Oh, I, I want to keep a pulse on the market or like I'm going to this trade show and I'm going to talk to a bunch of customers. I, I might ask everyone different questions in that scenario. For sure. All right. I think we can wrap the show on this. I had another question and I can't think of it. You said something and and I was like, this is why I always need to have a notepad next to me. It's okay. All right. I think we can wrap it for this for this week. Um, so let's go. Thank you all so much for listening. You can catch the Industrial Marketing Show on all of the major podcasting platforms, which only means Apple and Spotify. Um, please leave a five-star review of the Industrial Marketing Show. Leave us a written review. Tell MJ and I how awesome or terrible we are. I do got to say, I do appreciate the people who reached out to me uh, from the show last week. I got like three DMs. I got an email. Nobody ever emails me. Somebody emailed me directly. And then I got two DMs on LinkedIn asking me about the e-commerce aspect of it, which thought fabulous. Just please, please ask me um, questions about the show. I I enjoyed that thoroughly. and yeah, leave a review. Let us know how good or bad the show is. Um, we may have one more show here before for the new year. I uh, haven't haven't talked to MJ about it yet. We'll probably text on the weekend like we usually do and figure it out. But uh, in the meantime, and uh, for the Industrial Marketing Show, I'm Matt. And I am MJ. And uh, y'all have a great rest of your day. And if we don't post before the holidays, have a very, very happy holidays and new year. Peace.